All right, if you want to grab your seat, good work getting to know some friends. As always, encourage you to stay after. We'll have coffee and treats. Uh, afterwards, you can hang out in the hallway and uh, get to know one another. First, Zach, you're my favorite person to all to welcome. I don't know what it is, man. I love it. It brings me back to like speech class in high school. Where I like didn't I didn't like ever look at the slides I made I just like read them to the class, <laughs> I love it. You did awesome. Thank you, man. A uh, couple quick things. We are bringing back the Advent Challenge. A few of you loved this last year. Last year, because we were not um, to, like together in person, uh, we created this challenge, which is a daily challenge throughout the month of December. We use an app to do that. These are some pictures from our challenge last year. It was actually our first one. Um, and it's just an opportunity for us to grow in community, and it's competitive if you like that. Uh, it's also just a lot of fun. Gives you something uh, to get to know some other people from Hope and also just have some, some good times together. Here's how it works. It's very simple. It's through an app uh, that we have, uh, that we purchase. Um, you just download the Goose Chase app. You search for Hope CC for Hope Community Church Heights. We're the only uh, challenge on there. And then you, um, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the... Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do the 2021 Advent Challenge. You pick a team name, so you can actually do this with other people. You can have up to five devices registered to every team. So do it with your small group or your family or friends. And then every single day, there's multiple challenges that come out. So you get a notification every day. And they could be um, questions like trivia to answer, uh, puzzles to answer. They could be just challenges like uh, funny pictures to take or or things you have to do, or draw, or whatever. Um, or you might actually have to go to a GPS location. So there'll be locations all over the Twin Cities that your team can go to, or someone on your team, and you can log in. And so we'd love for you to do this. You can join this anytime. There's last year, there's people who joined it like the week of Christmas and just did it for a few days. There's people who did it very faithfully every single day, the Lopers. And uh, <laughs> uh, they were chan- there was a few teams that were champions. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And then once you're a team, you can in, invite your other friends to join your team with a code. It's, there's lots going on there. But we encourage you to do that if you want to uh, join. It's, it's up now, and it'll start on the 1st of December and go through. This year, it'll go all the way through New Year's. Um, so it actually goes past Advent, past the birth of Jesus. But it's a lot of fun, and uh, we're bringing it back. So we're going to try it again this year. Love for you to do it. It's a way to see pictures of other people doing goofy things and just a, a lot of fun to share things. So encourage you to do that. I have one more thing I want to share. Our, we're starting a series next week. We're finishing our series right now, this week, on Entrusted. But next week, we're starting a series, and we're just meeting for three weeks during Advent because the 26th, we're not meeting in person here. Uh, we're meeting at our other two locations downtown and in St. Paul. But we're meeting for three weeks here, and our fourth week, we'll have a t- kind of take-home thing for you to do. Um, but we're calling it the White Elephant Christmas. And our hope is we get an opportunity to think about what are those gifts that we get that maybe we're not so thrilled about. The things we hope could bring things like joy or peace or rest, uh, we open them and they end up being like an old shoe, right? So we're, we're going to look at uh, kind of four things that we get, gifts that we get that kind of are white elephant gifts that we say, oh, thanks. Um, they aren't so great. And, and to look at I mean, how, how does Jesus actually fulfill those things? How does he actually bring those things when uh, it seems at the holidays we don't necessarily get things like rest or joy in the way we'd hope. Um, so excited about that. Um, we, we set up our tree this year. It's the first time we've ever had a tree here in Heights. Pretty big deal. It's our first tree ever. Um, and empty boxes that are wrapped. 
Very nice, huh, if you're wondering. Uh, or are they? Who knows? Um, every week, though, I'm really excited about this. Every week, I will have a few white elephant gifts that I'm going to hand out to some of you. And so if nothing else, come to see if you can get an old shoe. Or uh, I have some pretty sweet Jesus things that I'm excited to hand out. So uh, we'll just get in the spirit of white elephants at that point. All right, but we are currently at the last week of a series we're calling Entrusted. We are um, looking at four things, our time, our treasure, our talent, our ticker. We actually went backwards in how we did it, but uh, I should have done that backwards. Um, but we looked at our heart, our tickers. Uh, we looked at our talents, our treasure. And today we're going to look at time. We looked at how these have been given to us. We've we, we looked into Genesis 12, how we've been blessed and we're called to be blessings. How in Ezekiel 36, God gives us a new heart. How it all comes out of this idea that God is the one who gives us, and we just are overflowing what he's given us. It actually is his, his heart and talents and treasure, and today is time. And so we're going to continue looking at what does time look like? How do we think about time? And today, I'm excited. This is a thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, because I just, this week, just had my 40th birthday, um, which uh, feels kind of normal. You know, thanks for clapping, Craig. I made it, 40 years uh, and in that, I, I don't know if you, on birthdays, I kind of reminisce. I think back to like, what have I done? Um, my dad actually asked me this weekend when I saw him, he said, what, how do you feel like you've done with your life? I'm like, thanks dad. <laughs> how do you think I've done with my life? Uh, uh, but it makes me think about the things I wish I had done, uh, the way I wish I had spent my time. I mean, I'm sure anyone, if they think back to high school or maybe college, even those first years out of college, even my first years of marriage, just things I wish I had spent my time doing. Uh, just just to this, this, this morning, I was talking to someone about, uh, uh, he had just discovered a guitar player, and we were talking about how much time he must have spent to get how good he is. And I think, if I had just spent like one hour a day playing guitar two years ago, how good would I be now? I didn't do, I didn't do any of that. So it makes me think about how I spent my time. It also makes me think of how I'm going to spend my time. What does the future look like? What, what do I want? How much time do I even have left? I don't know if uh, every year I think more about how I feel like I have less time coming. And so how do I want those years to be spent? Um, and so time is, is a, it's a great week to talk about this because at least for me, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I, I assume most of us, time is one that you often think, I, it's, it's not a one you can store up and then use later. It's like I get it and then it seems to be gone. It's also a, a topic that we often, I think, in the church can say, uh, we can kind of uh, harp on each other about quickly. We say, man, you're not spending your time well. How are you spending your time? Don't waste your time. All, all these things that we get really concerned about how we're, we're spending our time. And so I'm hoping today, uh, through things that I've been able to read lately and been encouraged by, um, I can just maybe encourage us a little bit and what the gospel speaks to this and how maybe we can think about time that will change even how we think about our future and our past time and even our current, how we're spending Time. I do have some requests, though. Uh, my 40 people are wondering if I was a cute baby, so I got some pictures for you guys as I've been thinking back in time. This is me as a baby. Uh, I was a cute one. Okay, I have a real childhood picture of me. This is me when I was eight. Uh, I just discovered this was a, like a campaign by the Boy Scouts. They put out a bunch of pictures of kids with beards. I don't know, I don't know why, why they did, but it's wild to me. And then I thought, since I'm putting up fake pictures of me, I've, I got this app that ages me. This is me 
uh, in 30 years. I don't even know if I'll be alive in 30 years, but all it did was make me look like grayer and it bent my glasses. So <laughs> in 30 years, I'll look grayer and <laughs> bent my glasses. All right. I have been thinking a lot about this. So I've been looking into time. How do people spend their time? How have I spent my time? I feel like everyone I, I talk to has like spends their time doing better things or wiser things or more important things, at least most of you. Um, and so I started looking up, and thankfully there's people who do lots of uh, data on this. This is a, a recent study that was done on how people generally spend their day around the world, which is kind of just interesting to see the amount. If you see it like this in different colors, you see how much time you just spend sleeping. You know, it, says, it says the average person sleeps almost nine hours in the U.S. I don't know if I... That made me not believe any of this data. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people who get to sleep nine hours. It'd be awesome, though. But think, look at that, how much we spend sleeping, how much time is spent working, just doing stuff around the house, watching TV, eating, hanging out. I, don't, I think if I saw my days like this or my weeks like this, it, would, uh, it gives you a little different perspective. You think about your days, how are they spent, what blocks of time are used for what things. A couple kind of cool things that came out of reading about people's time being spent, um, I, often, I often feel like as I read those things, I feel like, oh, the world's getting worse. Maybe it's just as I get old, I turn into like an old man. But I, I feel like things get worse. Actually, one of the things I read was that between 1965 and 2010, people have significantly spent more time with their kids and their families, which I didn't know. It's kind of cool that people changed their time. Another really interesting thing is this is the amount of time people spend working which makes sense, right, from 1870 all the way to 2017. Generally around the world, people spent more time, at least in these countries, spent less time working. I mean, obviously, we, we live in a time now where you do work differently. You don't have to work all day just to survive. People spend less time working, which means those numbers have gone up. They spent more time with friends and with family, with their children. It says even some places it's even cut in half. Now, that's a long period of time, but... People have worked a lot, which has given them a lot more leisure time, which they say uh, they took surveys of what people did in their leisure time and what bring them the most pleasure. So not only did uh, people have more time to just do things and how to spend their time, but they asked them, what do you do and what brings you the most pleasure? Now, there was things like housework, fixing the house, um, hanging, out, <laughs> hanging out with extended family. They separate extended family and immediate family. Uh, those came out different levels of enjoyment, which was interesting, understandable maybe. Um, these, are, these are the things people found most enjoyable. These are like the top things. They found time with their family, time playing sports, time sleeping was like top, the, the third favorite thing. Hobbies, music, arts, walking dogs came in really high. People enjoy walking their dog. Just going for walks, going for walks with friends, being a part of religious community was really high on uh, this survey around the world. And then the, the, my favorite one is there. There was It probably tells you where maybe they took some of the survey. Going to the pub was one of the top, was one of the top things. Going to pub was one of their favorite ways to use their non-sleep, non-work time. Nothing was like surprising. You go, yeah, yeah, that's, if I look around, I think, right, I have this piece of time every day that gets filled with different things. How do I use that? It always feels like I don't have enough of it. it feels like I, I wait too long to do something or I waited too 
late and just keep thinking about time. So I continued looking into time. I thought, okay, that's what people are in the world, at least they're, how they're using their time. How are people thinking about time? Do a lot of people feel like they aren't using their time well or wish they used their time better? Well, John Acuff, uh, an author, wrote a book called Start. I show the cover, not his face. I love this, the, t- the cover of this. It says, Punch Fear in the Face. I love, I love that title. Uh, escape average, do work that matters. Uh, but he says this about, he has a whole section about time. He says this, fear tries to tell you two things about time. Do it later or it's too late. The first delays you with laziness. The second destroys you with regret. And neither is true. I really, I really like that thought. How true is that? I often think I can wait and I think, oh, I just, I didn't get to that. Or it just plays, it just feeds my laziness. I just say, yeah, I'll just do it later. I really don't want to do it. I have something else to do. Or often I feel destroyed with regret. Why didn't I do that? When I look back, I, this week it felt like that. I went, look back. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't you start trying to do that or learning that or, or have that, that conversation or build that relationship? Because if, if I wrote down the hours, it's like, ah, oh, there was those hours watching Netflix I wish I had used for this other thing. The other place that has really uh, encouraged me, challenged me about time well, is, is Scripture. We're going to get there. Some of you are like, we still haven't seen the Bible. We're going to get there. But actually is a chapter in the book, The Screwtape Letters. This was written by a, a guy named uh, C.S. Lewis, Clive, who uh, uh, I, I really appreciate. And he wrote books like uh, Narnia, if you've seen those, or maybe you've watched those movies. He's written great things. But one of the books that every year I try to read is called The Screwtape Letters. It's a, it's a fictional story that he wrote about um, a demon who's writing letters back to like his demon supervisor, his uncle. And he's saying, hey, he's writing letters back to try to talk about how to train him how to be the best demon, how to best distract people, discourage people, right? It's, it's, not, it's not real. These aren't like real letters we intercepted from <laughs> demons. I like this book though, because every year it reminds me uh, that, that there, is, there is like other powers, that are, they're trying to discourage me. And really, most of the book reminds me of my own like flesh, my own sin that's just built into me that's trying to do everything to get me to just not worship Jesus, to not see the world through a gospel lens. And so chapter 21 talks about time, and it's one that I, I really do try to read this book every year. And uh, the class I teach, we read this book for the class. And uh, chapter 21 really hits me and really discourages me and really encourages me. And so usually I don't do this, but we're actually, we're going to read through part of chapter 21 together because I want us just to start framing first, not just how should we use our time, but first, what is time? How should we think about time? What does gospel time look like? Because if we are filled with that, if we understand that, I think that would overflow differently than if we just say, hey, go out there and use your time better. Stop wasting your time. Stop watching stuff and start doing stuff. That, that isn't gospel either. Right? That just works. That's just legalism. So I, I want us to just, we're going to walk through chapter 21. The screw tape layers are parts of it. I'm going to take some, some, some chunks of it just to encourage us um, into how to think about time. So this is, today is, think about um, Mr. Lewis came and it, today is just encouraging us. I tried to get him to come, but I found out he has passed away. And so... A long time ago. So we're going to just read this. This is from uh, Screw Tape Letters. Now, this chapter starts actually with talking uh, kind of about how, how to convince people of a non gospel sexual ethic, but it quickly goes into this discussion about time. 
It says, now you have noticed that nothing throws him. Now remember, this is a demon. This is like talking to another one. These aren't people who are um, trying to get us to follow Jesus. This is them talking about their observations of us. Now you'll have noticed that nothing throws him, uh, people, into a passion so easily as to find attractive time which he reckoned on having at his own disposal unexpectedly taken from him. How true is that? Have you had time taken from you? Might be the, the, the way you can make me the most angry. It is the unexpected visitor when he looked forward to a quiet evening or a friend's talkative wife turning up when he looked forward to a time with a friend that threw him out of gear. Now, he is not yet so uncharitable or slothful that these small demands on his courtesy earn themselves too much for it. They anger him because he regards his time as his own and feels that it is being stolen. You must therefore zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption, my time is my own. If we believe our time is our own, then when it's stolen from us, we start believing it's stolen from us, it causes anger. Just like this alone is worth like the whole book, but we're going to keep going. <laughs> Let him have the feeling that he starts each day as a lawful possessor. Let him feel as a, uh, as a grievous tax that portion of his property, which he has to make over to his employers, or as a generous donation, that further portion, which he allows to religious duties. It's if we like, oh, we own this time and we're, we're so generous because we give that time to our religious duties what he must never be permitted to doubt is that the total from which these deductions have been made was, in some mysterious sense, his own personal birthright. This, I mean, this like right to my heart, right to my heart. I, every day I wake up and I believe my time is my personal birthright. The assumption which you want him to go on making is so absurd that if once it is questions, even we cannot find a shred of argument in its defense. The demon's saying, we don't, we don't have any real argument for this, but let him believe it. The man can neither make nor retain one moment of time. It all comes to him by pure gift. He might as well regard the sun and the moon as his chattels or his, his slaves. You hear this? He, he, we don't get it. It's all a gift. But, but how important for sin, for Satan to help us believe it's all ours. It's all mine. And so when you take this piece of my time that was supposed to be my Netflix time or that time that was supposed to be my quiet time, or I had a really long day where I gave a lot of time to my employer and now you're taking this, it just stirs this anger in me. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell, and we must keep them doing so. We produce this sense of ownership, not only by pride, but by confusion. We teach them not to notice the difference, uh, different senses of the possessive noun. They finally, the finely graded differences that run from my boots, through my dog, my servant, my wife, my father, my master, my country, to my God. They can be taught to reduce all these senses to that of my boots, the my of ownership. He goes on to explain how the word, the phrase my boots and my God become really smashed into one meaning where God becomes one more of our possessions for us to use to get what we want. Becomes the same thing we see throughout all of the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Just worship 
to a God so that God can give me what I want. That God can be a kind of vending machine for me. And so this word my gets not applied correctly, but the same as if I said the boots I'm wearing and my God both just serve me. And lastly, we hear, and all the time the joke is that the word mine in its fully possessive sense cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. Do you hear that? The word mine really shouldn't be uttered. In the long run, either our father, this is Satan, or the enemy, this is God, Jesus, will say mine of each thing that exists and especially of each man. They will find out in the end, never fear to whom their time, their souls, and their bodies really belong. Certainly not to them, whatever happens. So not only is this a, an issue of us, see, how, how we see time, and really the rest of the things, right? Our treasure and our talents, and our hearts. We see them as like mine. I get, I get them and I use them to do what I want. I deserve these things. But it's, it's not just a, an issue of like how we spend our time. It's really an internal issue of who we belong to. It's a big deal. And this really, right, doesn't just come from Lewis's like his own thoughts, his own mind, but it comes from his conversion following Jesus and his own study of Scripture. And we see this all over Scripture in just one place that has encouraged me. The heavens are yours from Psalm 89, 11. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. All the heavens and all the earth, you founded the world and all that is in it. So this first, it's just this first place I want us to stop and kind of sit in for a moment is this mine, this word mine. Mine, it's mine, it's mine, 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 mine. If you have a little person around your house, you may have heard the word mine a lot. <laughs> I think as adults, we don't do that. We don't typically yell mine and like rip things out of people's hands. We do it like a lot more elegantly and appropriately, <laughs> but ultimately, right? Mine. Mine. I think the first place to start is this, a gospel understanding. It's not mine. And that's actually good. That's good. If, if, if none of C.S. Lewis's writing worked, I think this uh, clip from Evan Almighty always reminds me of this great truth. So you're really him, aren't you? You want more proof? I haven't done the pillow of salt thing in a while. That's all right. I believe you. I just, I don't understand why you chose me. You want to change the world, son. So do I. What? Why an ark? I mean, that's like flood territory. You wouldn't do that again. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Let's just say that whatever I do, I do because I love you. Well, then you have to understand that this whole building an ark thing is really not part of my plans here. I need to settle into my house. I need to make a good impression at work. <laughs> what? Your plans. <laughs> what? what are you talking? I'm, we're talking about an ark, right? I mean, an ark? An ark is huge. I don't even know where I would begin. Well, I hear that a lot. People want to change the world, don't know how to begin. Well, if you haven't seen Evan Almighty, it's the story of Steve Carell. is <laughs> like Noah, and he's supposed to build an ark. I love this clip, though. It's such a, it's such a great moment where he says, this is a part of my plans, and it's so comical <laughs> that uh, Morgan Freeman, playing God here, l- laughs. Oh, <laughs> your plans. The, the, the reality is, like, that really is your, your plans. 
I also love it because it reminds us I, I, do, I do want to change the world. I do want people to feel loved and cared for. I want justice around us. And I work really hard to figure out how my plans can do that, forgetting there's a God who cares much more about justice and making sure people feel loved and cared for in the world changing than I do. And so this passage is very true. And so if this is true that, that all things are God's, that, that we've just been entrusted with them, that's even just, just nuts that he would say, hey, Drew, you're, uh, I've seen you for 40 years. You really aren't that great at that many things. I'm going to entrust you with my plans to save the world. So then what? So maybe, maybe we can get to a place where we believe, okay, these things are God's. They're his things. It's not mine. So then what? Well, I, I love the definition. I looked up uh, just the word time in my Bible dictionary. I have a couple of those. Pretty big deal. It's kind of a big brag, but sorry, but I paid money and bought one. It says, this is actually interesting. In the, in the Lexham Bible dictionary, it says this. Time, it says, time is described as a sequence of God's saving acts. I love that. You know, just a dictionary definition, which is rare that I ever would actually probably use that on the screen. It might help inform you. I thought, I love the idea of history, of each moment, each season, each year, being just a series of events, a sequence of God's saving acts. Of our God from creating us in the world to people turning from God in the fall, to a series of God continuing to pursue his people to rescue them over and over and over again until one day he returns and makes things all right again. And so if that's how I see time. I see it as God's time, and ultimately it's a sequence of him over and over saving, rescuing, bringing light to darkness and life to death. That's something I'd like to join in on. Listen to Psalm uh, 74 here. Right in the middle it says, but God is my king from long ago, right, from all of time, and he brings salvation to the earth. It's like his mission statement, right? A a sequence of God's saving works. And listen, right after this says, the day is yours and yours also the night. Time, right? You establish the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. The, the days and the weeks and the seasons are yours and they're for you to bring salvation to the world. So this is what's really important. Not only do we see it as not just not my time, but I see it as a time, all of time, just be an opportunity for God to rescue and save his people, to bring his life and light into the world to destroy darkness and death. But when I have days where I just go, I'm, what was I doing? Why was I wasting my time? I, uh, my wife surprised me with some, we went to, to a favorite pizza place uh, kind of by my hometown and some high school friends and college friends showed up to hang out, which was so fun. But it was just a night of stories of complete wastes of time that we did in high school. <laughs> story after story of like just dumb high school guy things that we did and like late night driving cars around and like toilet papering people's houses just laughing about these 
And the moment was so fun. And then driving home and I'm laying in bed, I'm thinking, wow, that was so fun to, to remember those. And then uh, in the same moment, I'm reading, preparing for this. And I think, gosh, what a waste. Did I just waste all that time? Is it, why, why can't I get on it and save people, right? And I'm reminded again of it's taken some of that off of me. It's not my time, and I'm not the one saving. And, and Galatians 4 reminds of this. We are in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. We're enslaved to sin, death. But when the set time had fully come, right, right when God wanted it to happen, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The most important time in history. Not too late. Not regretting. He wished he had done it. Jesus comes at the right time, in the right moment, exactly when God wanted him there, exactly in, a sequ- in the sequence of saving acts to rescue all people. It wasn't me that did that. It wasn't you. It wasn't a lack of me doing something I was supposed to do, so Jesus had to come save us. It was God doing what he does in his time. I didn't procrastinate or chicken out. I didn't plan poorly or forget to set an alarm. I didn't either create a perfect plan and execute it so that all of us could be rescued and be part of God's family, adopted back into a family that we don't deserve to be in. My timing wasn't perfect. It wasn't poor. It wasn't my time because Jesus came and did the work, the right work at the right time. He was right on time to save us and make us family. My good news. It wasn't ours. It was his. But because of that work, because of the way he used time and was within time, he made us part of his family. And now we, knowing that it's not ours, that we're in God's time, that we're in his sequence of timing, get to now join his time. Rather than the, the weight of you got to do this or is God going to be angry with me? Is he going to let me even in his family? Is he going to kick me out of his family? Am I going to be called someone who wastes all my time? Or can I, get, can I do it all just perfectly and I look down on others who don't do it? Well, it, it all was done by Jesus and now we get to join God in his sequence of saving acts. And well, he brings us into his family and he says, here, join in the family business and that's rescuing the world. And now we get to ask that question, how will we use that time? We don't have to use the time to save ourselves to make God happy with us so that that he'll rescue us, it's been done. We don't have to use that time to make ourselves look better anymore. God loves us. He approves of us. We don't have to use that to save our family or friends. God does that. We get to join him in doing that. We don't need to do that to find more comfort or power in our lives. We don't need to stay up late and be exhausted just so that we look better or we feel better. We get comfort and power through the gospel. It's not something we need to store up. It's not even something we can store up. So will we join God in saving lives, bringing light to darkness, bringing life to death? That's how I want to encourage us. That's how I'm encouraging myself 
is uh, when I'm thinking about my time, maybe less looking at my calendar. I think it's helpful to look at your calendar. How do I use my time? But more like, am I taking opportunities to use the time, this time that God's entrusted me, to join him in his work? And so a conversation that interrupts me might be a really great opportunity to bring light to darkness. And so I want to encourage us in all these, as we wrap up this series, as you look to these uh, opportunities of, of giving your heart, being filled first with the gospel, knowing God's heart has changed you or his talents that he's given you or his treasures or his time, what does it look like for us to embrace these and be entrusted with these and then ask the question each day, what does it look like to join God in his saving works of rescuing his people? And one day he's going to come and make it all right in his perfect timing. We get to join him in that. So a couple of things I think to consider to ask yourself, or maybe which one of these is the hardest one for you to overflow, to joining God's work? Is one of these like, this is the one I really like to hold on to. This is the one I would say mine the most to. My treasure, I earned that, it's mine. It's really hard to release that, to join God. Is it hard to release your talent? Do you feel maybe you're not even sure what that is? Or maybe people have a, used or abused your talents, and so you don't want to give that back out? Is it hard to give your heart to people? It's maybe really easy to just work hard or give from a distance. Is it hard to give your heart? Or what does your time look like? Which one is the hardest to overflow? And I want to ask you too, which one is just the hardest to believe? Do you believe God can change your heart? That he's given you talents and gifts? That he has for you? That he's, he's rich? It can give you what you need or your time. Do you believe those? It might be a, a week that you just need to say, I just need to sit in the gospel and be reminded of these because my cup's pretty empty. So overflowing is tough. I just need to be reminded of this good God who did these things. Before we worship together, I actually want to share again, a few weeks ago we had the opportunity to meet Sadie and hear a little of her story. Um, and today we're going to hear from Annie. Annie, if you want to come up. And the reason I'm bringing Annie up, we're going to hear from a hopester here. Let's hear from a hopester. We need a jingle for this. There's a microphone on that stand if you want to grab it. Um, this is Annie, everybody. Um, the reason Annie and Caleb have become dear friends and they are in our small group, and Annie just recently, this last couple of weeks, has been talking about a friend named Tommy. I think even before you've talked about Tommy, uh, because Tommy just passed away, and which also makes you just think more about all the, how they've spent their time and and done that. Uh, this is Tommy. Yeah, a picture of Tommy. You have a good story about this too. But um, first, I just want to ask you a little bit. Uh, Annie and Caleb, their family are people who, who do this. They're people who do this to us. They overflow. They care for us. Um, but she's been sharing how much this gentleman has done this. And I want to just, I thought, what an opportunity for us to hear about Tommy, a, a, a guy who none of you probably know, but just to hear how he has joined in God's really sequence of saving acts. <laughs> Uh, first, why don't you introduce yourself and your family a little bit. Did you flick it, flick it on? I think you should be good then. Huh? So, so we yep. know who you are a little bit. <laughs> I'm Annie, my husband Caleb, and we have two girls, Jail and Zoe. Um, we live in Columbia Heights. <laughs> We've been part of Hope the last year and a half. That's Sorry. great. Okay, that's Perfect. Great. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Annie and Caleb came the last day we met in person, uh, like, next door. And then we went online forever. So they were like part of our church, but didn't know any of you. Yeah. Which is yeah. kind of wild. I'm incredible that you're still here. 
It's, it's amazing that you came to a church once and you're still, we love it. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about Tommy. Who is Tommy to you and, and how have you seen this in him? Like how has he been one of these people in your life? Yeah, so this is Tommy Hopewell. He's like the most precious man um, in our, for our family. Um, my parents are first generation believers and so they got married and they had no clue like how do we do marriage? How do we... Um, how do we raise these girls? Um, and Tommy and his wife, Dorma, um, were just faithful believers at the church that my parents went to and just kind of took them in. And so Tommy and Dorma were the spiritual parents for my parents. And so I grew up in their backyard, in their kitchen, always at their house. Um, they were faithful first to my parents to bring them alongside of them, care for them. Um, kind of, I think, probably for both of them, just covering the wounds of hard um, childhoods and hard relationships with parents and um, point them to Jesus over and over, point them to grace over and over. Tommy's like a massive grace guy. Everything is like because of the grace of God, like, believe in him, you will be saved, period. Like, just, he loved that, and he always said the period when he quoted that verse. Um, and so, because of him, I feel like my parents are who they are, and they're precious, precious to us. Um, but, so, time, we spent tons of time with him. He always had time, always, always, for my family. Um, and he had his own biological family, who he loved very well. Um, his talent, he's incredible woodworker. And I don't think I went on a single mission trip within the U.S. that he was not there. And we always had to pull him off the roof because he wanted to be up there nailing shingles. And we're like, Tommy, you're too old. Um, come down here. But even when he got grounded to the ground crew, he was always just encouraging, investing in every young person that came alongside of him. Um, always, always. Um, he, I don't know if he ever went to a restaurant without sharing the gospel to whoever served him food. Um, he prayed hard con continually. He lost his wife in 2005. Um, and that was extremely difficult for him, but I think it drove him further to the heart of his Lord and being near him and praying for all those around him. Um, when we went on the mission field, I think he was one of our greatest supporters in um, continually praying for us. And he was, he's been on a fixed income forever, but every time he saw me, he'd hand me a $20 bill and just tell me how proud he was of me, of following the Lord and um, being concerned about others knowing the grace of the Lord. Um, so yeah, that's Tommy. I don't think he ever considered anything his. I think as you were talking, that's what I realized that was so special about him. None of that was his time, his talents, anything. None of it was his. It was all for the Lord, and he was always seeking to do that. So that's he great. was that's just incredible. precious. Um, if you can answer one more question. <laughs> I'm sure this is hard. Uh, <laughs> can you share like how, he, how you feel like he changed you? Because I, I find often when I... Uh, think think about this. When I think of like a, the glass of water, many of these people in my life were the ones who helped fill me. God used them to really fill me. So just curious, maybe there's a few things you feel like you do in your own life 
that you probably learned from him yeah. and he kind of filled in your life? Well, this is just kind of a joke, but I always say, I was telling Drew earlier, I think my long-windedness comes from Tommy. He, he <laughs> always had just everything to share. And it was all passionate. So you just want to sit there and listen. I think he passed that to my dad and passed that to me. Um, but I think his joy in all things is like I think about often, even before his passing, of his battle with cancer the last couple of years. Um, never once did he ever say the hard things. Um, he always was just like, yeah, I'm doing good. Like, God is good. God is here. Um, I think that's something that I've seen since I was a little girl that I will, that I do hold on to and that has changed me. Um, and also just open-handed living, I learned from him. Um, and we try to walk, and I, I feel like the Lord is always convicting me, but we try to walk in life with our hands open that this isn't ours. Um, and that means bring all the people in as much as you can and love them well and open-handedly love people not trying to determine outcome um yeah that's really good okay you have a story with this you, this is the picture you sent me <laughs> him with a McCafe coffee of all the pictures so he doesn't have internet at home and covid there was like a year where he couldn't go to church and he was so passionate and loved the church um and couldn't handle being away. So he would have his daughter come get him with her laptop, because he didn't have one, and they'd park in the McDonald's <laughs> parking lot to get Wi-Fi. They so use their Wi-Fi. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Some, there's days where I'm like, I don't, like I have access to all that, and you're like, I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to want to go to church. And it's my, I have to be here. And he, find, <laughs> he knows the McDonald's to find a way. Well done, man. I love it. Um, thank you for sharing that. Would you would you just thank God for him? Yeah. And then just pray for our church. Absolutely. Uh, let the spirit lead you there. And then as she's doing that, we'll have our worship team come up, and we're going to worship together here after that. Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for all of those spiritual giants that um, we all have in our world that we're standing on their shoulders. Um seeking to know you and love you um, better and better. Thank you for the examples of um, those people. And Lord, thank you for Tommy. Thank you for his joy and his love and um, his faithfulness to preach you and the hope and the grace that's found in you. Um, Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be open-handed, that we would live with a lot of generosity with our time, with our talents, um, with our hearts, with our treasures. Lord, understanding that every good gift that we have comes from you. It's all yours. Um, and that as we pour out, that you fill up. Lord, we're so thankful for your faithfulness and your kindness and your love. Um, and we just pray that you would help us grasp the reality um, of the bigness of you and the smallness of us and how unending your heart and your treasure and your talents um, is and that you pour it out on us, Lord. Um, we love you. It's in your faith. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Annie. Well, thanks. Um, I encourage you, whenever I hear stories like this, it makes me think of people in my own life uh, and 
I often forget to like tell them. And I think one encouragement today might be a day to text a friend and say, hey, thanks for being a Tommy. And they'd say, what are you talking about? Uh, there's a few ways we uh, like to respond here on our Sunday mornings together. Um, and so just to remind you of those, first we have an opportunity here. Our whole service builds to communion, which is an opportunity just to remember what Jesus has done, that he's, he's died, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that ours wouldn't be. We remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. We do that through communion where we, uh, we, take, we have little cups, you peel back and you can break the wafer and you can drink the wine just to remember that. We don't ask you to be a member of our church, just a follower of Jesus. You can do that right outside the doors. We can't have food and beverage in here, so our communion is right outside the doors. Both sides have communion. We encourage you to step out there and just take a moment to thank God for that. Also through prayer and singing, um, there's people in the back of the room that have yellow lanyards on. If you want prayer, you can just walk up to them. Uh, you have to say anything, they'll pray for you. Or if you have something specific, they would love to pray uh, over you. Also, we'll be just be singing. Um, our worship team will lead us through a few songs to just sing out the words of the gospel. Also, giving is an opportunity to respond to what God has, has given us uh, and, and give back. And so we ask you with grateful hearts that we give to God. You can do that online. Otherwise, we have an um, a actual box on the communion table back here if you'd like to do that. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll worship together. Father, thank you. I just thank you again for lives uh, like Tommy, uh, who I don't, who I have never met, but I uh, get the benefit uh, of knowing you more, like being more passionate about you because of the work he's done in the young's life and the and the way they love us. I just pray that you would. Um, continue to bring those people into our lives and that we could be those people together as your family, we would join you in your saving works. I pray now as we sing that we would just praise you, that we would cry out this good news of the gospel. I pray this in your good name. Amen.